Hi, this is Danny Bolt, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Welcome to the Fulham Focus Premier League podcast. I'm J-Mac, your host. Well, 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 well. You thought defending was poor against Arsenal. Not yourself out of this shower against Man Bun United. A seven-goal thriller may be, but it is not good enough whatsoever to stay in this league. We need recruits and we need them now. For what fight and passion we had in the last 30 minutes was detrimented by fearful passing and Mr. Blobby discipline for 60 minutes prior. Still lovely to show a good fight against the best team in England to have conceded the same amount of goals as us in two games. With me to oven bake these man buns are Matt Don Perignon and Matthew Statinger Arter. And away we go. Fulham. Right, lads. Leeds, first Prem game at Ellen Road for 16 years. Not a new encounter for us, as we've danced this dance before and won many of them. Yet BT had us as though we were playing Inter Milan for some reason this game. But we'll come on to that later. The lineup: Some changes since Arsenal. Adoy as a left centre-back. Kearney dropped for Anguissa. Tet on the, as right-back. Ariola in goal. Mitro has been moved to striker instead of Abubakar Kamara. And now AK is on the wing with Cav. The same before. 4-2-3-1. Matt Dom, what were your thoughts of this lineup, mate? And hello. Hello, mate. Um, interesting one. I mean, uh, I thought we all thought there was going to be a bit of a bit of change because of uh, he, he didn't go with the with the new guys against mm-hmm. Arsenal. But um, yeah, it's quite a few changes, wasn't it? Um, yeah, you you sometimes worry that we're. we're falling into the same trap as last time with making all these changes in the defence. I mean, I know we are, we wanted the guys to nestle in, but yeah, you're just, you're just worried that we're going to see a different lineup each week because of this, but I'm not yeah. too sure. Yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, on the plus side, Anguissa starting, I think, was the right move. Um, ream out probably was the right move, but I don't think... I mean, we didn't look any better at the back, did we? Um, with Adoy there, so... It, it just screamed we need and we need some new defenders really uh, that was my first reaction um happy to see happy to see most of the players in the lineup but yeah it it didn't look good enough in defense really despite Tete coming in who who was good um yeah we need more players need more players and and better shape better discipline i got to say watching uh, crystal palace against man united i actually almost felt turned on watching two banks of four again it was just like it was, god look at the discipline and the containment of that anyway stato you sort of liked on you liked what you saw with the lineup didn't you you mentioned it on the whatsapp group yeah hello by the way um i really hello. did like like the look of the, of the lineup on at first glance you know um i think it was morgan in the chat who kind of summed up nicely that last week was it was the playoffs team? Well, it was the playoff finals like team's chance to you know perform at the Premier League? And now this week was kind of our best team, you know, based on all the players we have. And it wasn't kind of a wholesale amount of changes. It was just a few, a few changes in personnel here and there. And I think you know, there's kind of a basis of what our strongest team could look like. But again, as Dom said, and as you've said, the, the, the huge emphasis, like looking at that team, was just the defence and you know the centre-backs that we need at, mm. or the lack of that we have, really. It was just scary seeing a Dennis Adoy. You know, I think 
someone's been saying this on Twitter. If you've got Dennis Adoy in a starting Premier League lineup, and I love Dennis more than anyone, but if you see him in a starting lineup in the Premier League, you've got problems. And for one, he was in the, playing a left centre back in this game, not not right centre back as he usually does. He was on the left. Um, it's just biz- just a really really bold move from Parker. Maybe something to actually wait Tony Khan up and get a signing in quicker. Maybe it was a tactical reason for that. Um, yeah, there's kind of a um, part of me that thinks that maybe. You know, Parker did that just to tell Tony, look, we need centre backs. But I think I, I remember I, I did I looked back at the stats of of when of last season and Adoy he played centre back about one or two times and that was only when people like Mawson and Rima were injured. And you know he was quite settled at right back last year because you know the season before during our horror show in the Premier League he was a centre back and didn't work out. So it was just a mm. bit confusing that you know two games into our Premier League new season. Parker chooses to revert Odoi back to a centre-back. And yeah, it was just a bit of an odd move, to be honest. Well, let's talk about the first big mistake. It was quite quick, really. It was a Costa goal, five minutes. We scored a goal in under 10 minutes again. Um, a great hit from him. It was, uh, it was just after a corner. But is this an amazing shot or just terrible defending? It's somewhere in between, possibly, Dom, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was a great finish. Um can't put any fault at Ariola for not getting there because it was right into the top corner off the bar where the keeper can't reach it. But um, who was supposed to be marking him? I mean, I've looked, I've watched it back and I'm I'm sort of thinking Anguissa was perhaps supposed to be on him. I'd have Anguissa probably marking one of the, one of the taller defenders really, because he's a big, a big lad, but no one picked him up. And it's not like he drifted off the pack. He was standing there open yeah. as the ball came in. It, it wasn't like, He'd caught a yard on a defender and snuck in behind. He he was standing there wide open with about five yards of space. Just awful all round. Um and I think I, I don't know who it was. I think one of our one of our lads actually got to the ball as well and kind of headed it back to him. So um That's right, yeah. Just just poor, just poor all round. It it wasn't the most dangerous corner either. It was sort of an outswinger going to around the penalty spot area, which if they'd got a header on target, you'd expect to keep it to save it anyway. Just just really poor. I can't take anything away from the finish because it was excellent, but he shouldn't have been given the chance to 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 hit that really. Yeah, shouldn't have had that amount of space. I mean, the defensive frailties already in five minutes are quite a worry stat. I mean, it almost the goal reminded me, it was a kind of a classic copy of the 18-19 season we had. We actually conceded goals from tight corners like that because of bad marking. I mean, would you put this down to Tet's not being, you know, is it a Tet and Hector communication problem, do you think? Just just drifting off too early on? Um, I, I don't think this was directly Tete or Hector's fault. Um, it is concerning that we've conceded a goal within the first 10 minutes for the second week in a row. And as you've already mentioned, and it's also concerning that we've conceded from a corner for the second week in a row. You know, this, I don't want this to be a weakness that is ongoing for the rest of the season. Um, and like you said, you know, the goal, you can't afford the finish. It's a fantastic finish, but it's how we led to that. And you, know, you can blame the players, but at the same time, tactically, it looked a bit naive. It looked like we were kind of almost playing this zonal marking. And yeah. it kind of backfired because because of the zonal marking, it meant that no one was picking up Costa. So when obviously the ball fell to him, there was no one there. You can blame Anguisa because he was the closest man, but he probably just got told to be in that zone because that's that's the way we set up. And it just hasn't worked well and... Yeah, it just wasn't the ideal start at all. It felt like there were zonal markings all over the place, actually. Just no one was really sort of keeping to a man. It was a, it was really, really but, odd. I remember one point... But the zone... Sorry, mate. I said the zone seemed to be the six-yard box only. That's where all yeah. of our players were standing. So, 
I, I mean, <laughs> how how much does the football fans talk about zonal marking and how much they don't like it? But you, the zone is surely the box, and it's not just yeah. the six yard. The six yard box should be the keeper's area. Uh, that's his zone, and then just they're all standing around in in in, in a heap. I, I I can't work out what they were doing. Oh, and then you need to question if you're doing zonal marking, and then you see a player like Helder Costa not within kind of the zone or within the area that you're doing zonal marking. At what point then, as a player, do you have to question? Well, should we mark him up, or should we kind of stick to our guns? And if that's the case, then yeah, it's just not going to work out. And yeah, it was just just a bit of a shit show all around, really. It was a shit show all around. And I think, you know, before we get on to the, the penalty from Mitro and Joe Bryan becoming hero to zero, I just want to say that the passing was so bad, so bad up until the 34th minute when he scored a penalty. We looked almost terrified and rattled. It was like, do you think there's an argument that we were playing to lead his tempo too much in this game too early, Dom? Like they actually caused us to sort of chip into a rhythm we weren't comfortable with. Is something like that, potentially? I've got no idea. It it just it wasn't working. I mean, I think I think conceding early on is just about the worst thing for the way we play because you look at some of our good wins when we went up uh, the last couple of months of the season, we were often nil-nil at half time and then we start to play in the second half and 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 win it from there. But when you're 1-0 down inside five minutes, pretty much in both games, I can't remember when the Abamian was, I think it was inside five minutes as well, uh, the Abamian and the Arsenal one, it, it just, yeah. it, it's, it's uphill from for the way we play. We, we want to slow the tempo down and we want to stifle the other team, but they're all of a sudden on a high from their, from their early goal and we couldn't really keep up with them until, until we eventually started to around 25, 30 minutes. I have to say though, I don't think that Leeds played particularly well. Like they weren't one 0 up short, but it was just a bit of a scrappy game. Like they weren't really stringing passes together. We weren't doing anything. It was just a bit of just a a meh game. Like it was two Championship sides playing in the Premier League against each other, and you know it wasn't until we made it one all that you know the tempo kind of picks up a bit. And that was a that was the Mitro penalty at thirty four minutes, which we'll talk about now. That that was quite what well, was quite nice is. I saw a screen cap today on Twitter of Joe Bryan smiling as soon as he had won it. It was quite cheeky. I enjoyed seeing that. Um, clear penalty, obviously. I mean, I don't know what the what Cock is thinking there. I mean, that's definitely... I mean, that is 100% a penalty, isn't it, Dom? Yeah, absolutely. You can't you can't do that. It's Even if it wasn't the, you know, the strongest contact and Joe Bryan sort of took a few seconds to go down... He's made contact. He's slid, and he's got nowhere near the ball. You have you have to give that as a pen, and and they they looked at it and realised there was no mistake. So yeah, fair play, and definite penalty for me. Definite penalty for you. What would you say about the penalty for Leeds that happened immediately after that Joe Bryan conceded for us, uh, Mister Stafter? Bit soft. Uh, it was a bit soft, but it was definitely a penalty. Um, on reflection, looking at VAR, looking at the replay, there was he clearly pushed Bamford, and it was just. It was unnecessary because you you look you look at the cross. And you don't. I don't think Bamford was getting there anyway. There was no need for him to do that. And then if we go and just going back, of, you know, a few seconds as well, how Leeds got across like that it was very sloppy as well. Like they did one yeah. throw to the man in the middle who had all the space and all the time in the world, and they just played out wide and they got the cross in, and then boom, you know, we put ourselves in a position like this where we can see the penalty, and you know, it was just very avoidable. It was just terrible. It was so bad. And I thought, you know, 
just when you thought we could actually get an equaliser, something like that happens and it, it's all, you know, we're going up a very steep mountain again. I mean, just one of the worst halves I've seen us play, actually. I remember at one point I saw Hector just, just pass it to absolutely no one off the side. It was terrible. Um, I mean, at half time we were saying, you know, we need the wingers need to be changed around. And we, a lot of us were saying that Onoma was a bit too slow. I mean, Onoma a bit off the pace in this game, do you think, Matt Dom? Uh, yeah, definitely. He's been off the pace in both games so far. Um, it's tough because start of last season, he was he was playing most games and a lot of us thought he wasn't up to it. Um, and it, we all then gave Scott Parker a lot of credit for sticking with him and because he clearly improved and became one of our most important players at the end of the season. It's the same story again. It's a huge step up. Um, he hopefully will learn really quick, but he's he's not up to the pace. He, he looks slow, which was weird because he seemed quite fast in the championship. It might just be yeah. that that the, the standards are so much higher, but then we played Leeds last season. So it, it's tough. I, I think, I don't think it's working where he plays either uh, as, as the really? number 10. It kind of, I've, I've never really liked it, even though he's had some good games there. Um, I think we've got better options in midfield at the moment and we, we need to go with that. Yeah, I mean, slow off the pace, but still some very impressive footwork from him, but just too, just a bit too laboured in this game. What, what are your thoughts on this, Stato? I mean, if you've got any thoughts about on a number 10 situation that we could, you know, if that is the right position for Onoma right now? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, if we were to stick with this kind of 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it, kind of formation, you know, Onoma, he's not really up to scratch at the moment. That's not to say that he ever will be. But, you know, we can't keep playing him if he's playing poorly. And, you know, you look at that position, that number 10, and you wonder who in our squad can currently fill it. And, you know, you obviously look at players like Tom Kearney, but although, you know, he seems to have lost a yard of pace now. Um, and also yeah. Bobby Decordova-Reed, who we'll get onto because he had quite a good performance in the second half. But, you know, I also think there's kind of, if we stick with this 4-3-3 formation, that, you know, this number 10 role is going to be pivotal for us because... You know, in the group chat at half time for the rest of the game, you know, and you know, just on Fulham Twitter and all the social medias, everyone talked about how our wingers just aren't good enough. You know, Cavalero and Kamara didn't necessarily have a good game, Awful. and there's a lot, of, yeah, and there's there's kind of a lot of question marks around whether our wingers are up to Premier League scratch. And you know, at the moment, the general consensus is no, they're not. But I wonder if we could get a top quality, you know, number ten midfielder in who can kind of. Uh, create that bit of quality and you know create these chances that like he could almost kind of help the wingers you know perform a lot better because you know at the moment they're not really getting the service that they need to be able to perform you know they're, they're kind of feeding off scraps from Angisa and and Reed but you know if we kind of had that playmaker there who could kind of help set them up then you know that could help our current crop of wingers you know be a lot better than what they currently are. Well, let's talk about another playmaker, but one on the lead side. This is Klitsch, who provides further heroics for Leeds after the penalty. Now, there is no pressure on him in the middle of the pitch whatsoever. And Giesen and Reed look mixed up here. This is the 50th minute goal, the through ball to Patrick Bamford. I mean, he gets, I mean, it's a lovely through ball, but it just, it's too easy. It gets between Tet and Hector far too easily for this one. I mean, Hector needs to be doing so much better here. His communication with Tete, at least. I mean, what's happened to Hector in these past two games, Dummy? I just do understand. What's going on with him? I feel like maybe getting rid of Tin Ream has actually made him worse. I don't know if he needs someone a better counteract. I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's weird. In the championship, he was 
he was dominant and kind of that he was that sort of ball winning center back and he'd he'd get to the ball first and he'd beat strikers in the air and he's sort of trying to do the same thing but all of a sudden the other players are much better and much faster and get into the ball first and he's finding himself on the on the right wing and almost at the halfway line getting beaten to the ball and not necessarily so this, to this goal but he yeah he needs i don't know he there seems to be a big gap when when teams break through us um there's the gap between the center back and the full back and there's also a gap in front of them and he he he's, doesn't seem to be sure where he's supposed to be picking up uh, he's trying yeah. to win the ball and he's getting turned and he, yeah he needs to kind of sort it out and just sort of be calm again because that that's when he was when he was great for us last season he was just cool calm collected and he's not showing any of those things this time um it, it's weird it, it it's obviously a big step up as we've said but it's worrying because he's supposed to be the good centre back. Yeah, and that's that's. I'll pass this on to you, Stato. I mean, it's not the not the greatest feeling arriving in the Premier League, then realizing that uh, both your centre backs are centre backs aren't up to it, particularly the one that was good last season. Yeah, it's a bit worrying that I suppose your best centre back is kind of having a bit of a wobbly patch. And it's funny. I said um, when Hector first came in last season, I mentioned on the pod that. He was kind of this alpha centre back, and what I mean by that is, you know, all the successful centre back pairings, you know, they that have ever existed. So Hangland and Hughes, for example, Hangland was kind of this alpha dominant centre back, and Hughes was kind of the one who, you know, did what Hangland told him to do, and it was a very successful partnership. And you know, you can look at all the other types of partnerships that exist for that. You know, the Ferdinands and Vidic's, the Van Dykes and Joe Gomez's, and whatnot, and that's what Hector was for us in the Championship, and. It was great, but now we're in the Premier League and we're two games games in and Hector's looking, you know, a bit worrying and a bit, you know, a bit dodgy. So you wonder whether now he's no longer this kind of alpha centre-back and we kind of need to get this kind of new alpha centre-back in that can go next to Hector because, you know, we know that Hector's a perfectly competent centre-back, but if we could get this kind of big, dominant, you know, almost Premier League experienced centre-back in that can kind of help Hector and, you know, form a good partnership with him then you know that could be the answer for us but yeah in the meantime it's very worrying well this I mean this continue the, the thought of very worrying uh Costa again in the 57th minute I mean it, this is 4-1 and it's seen game over at this point in my opinion this is the the circus like the, the worst defending yeah I mean Adoy is in a right back position all the defenders only marking Jack Harrison I think Costa Klitsch and maybe Phillips uh I can't I'm not sure if it's Phillips they're all man buns to me now but completely just free all open in the danger zone. Three, three players, three, just free to roam. Uh, just, I think there was, like I said, there was a point where three Fulham players were marking just one. Per- and it was the same here. Uh, just going straight back to you on this stat. I mean, th- this was weird. Like, r- I mean, I don't understand. I've never seen z- zonal marking done so badly in my life here. I, I, I don't even know if it was zonal marking. It just seemed heads all over the place. Like Hector was winning a ball up in that right mid spot. And then, yeah, Odoi was running at right back and he's meant to be the left centre-back. And it was just all over the place. And it was, it was almost reminiscent of um, the goal that Leeds scored um, last season after the restart when they went 3-0 up when they kind of just mm. put that low cross ahead and then like re-missed it and Brian missed it. And then they just tucked in. It was, it was almost similar to that, really, because it was just calamitous and all over the place. And again, yeah, like I said, more just very worrying stuff and this cannot continue if we want to try and stay in the Premier League. 
Yeah, it, it was kind of at that point. It's sort of defending as if we were playing eight up front, and we were caught out with no yeah. one in defence. But but we weren't we weren't throwing everything forward at that point. We were still we still had our defenders back. It's just they didn't know what to do, and they did know what to do about a month ago, a month and a half ago. So yeah, it, it's strange. It's strange. It the worry the, the one thing for me is is only. It's only Leeds, and they scored four against us, um, and four simple goals really uh, that, that all were avoidable if we're honest. Um, and we're gonna we, we've got City and Liverpool and Man United in this league, and Arsenal who we've already played. <laughs> they need they need to they need to work it out very quickly. And uh, this, I mean, let's go on. I mean, so the double substitution this sort of changes the game now. Um, something that Scott Parker said. Uh, in his post-match uh, commentary, was just how this time two years ago it would have been probably six or seven one, and uh, but we just showed a bit of character here and some really astute, um, really astute substitutions from Scott Parker to see the problems. And he so he takes off Onuma and takes off AK forty seven and brings on Bobby Reed and Cabana. Now this suddenly changes things quite a lot. And and first of all, we then have this beautiful assist from. Uh, Andre Frank Zamboagisa to Bobby Reed, and it's Bobby Reed's first. Uh, well, no, it's not his first Premier League goal, but his first goal for us in the Premier League. T- talk me through it, Mister Stepper. Yeah, I think that was kind of one of the first times in a long time we've seen a midfielder thread a nice through ball like that to one of our attackers. You know, a lot of our mm-hmm. goals last season just came from crossing it into Mitro and or you know pot shots from Knockhart and Cavalero, and you know it's kind of really refreshing just to see a nice kind of direct through ball into the area and for Bobby Reed to get that space and to finish. And, you know, to his credit, Bobby Bobby comes under a lot of flack from us from us fans. You know, we say he's not good enough and we we say he just has too many chances and doesn't perform. But, you know, in his defence, he plays all over the place. And yesterday was kind of a rare example of where I think he's playing in his strongest position. You know, he was almost yeah. playing off Mitrovic. He was playing off the striker almost you know, as an advanced number 10. And we, you know, in his defence last season, we saw him out wide. We saw him in midfield. We saw him alongside Kearney, which, you know, didn't really work. But, you know, when you have him as that number 10 with kind of more defence-minded midfielders like Anguissa and Reed playing behind him, he was kind of almost allowed to flourish and, you know, be more creative and make those advanced runs. So it was a good game for him. And if he can keep that up, I think, you know, he could actually be quite a useful asset to us in the Premier League. Yeah, I, was, I, I agree with the kind of playing a more advanced midfielder. We we've, we discussed earlier that we don't know who our creative number 10 is. Um, Tom Kenny doesn't play directly enough. Josh Onimus seems to be off the pace at the moment. And I'm, I'm not sure he's that player anyway. Why don't we get rid of that that position and and put that position up front instead? Because we've got we've got Bobby Reed, who we, we I think we all agree that's probably his best position playing off the striker. He hasn't played there a lot. Um, we've got AK-47 as well who could, who could do that job. So it might be worth trying that and then have the three midfielders as you know, Anguissa and Lamina and, and Reed, who are full of running, a lot of energy, can win the ball in midfield. And as we saw from Anguissa, potentially create goals with the three balls as well. Um, well, yeah. I mean, he also gave... Um, he Well, basically, before Mitrovic's uh, 64th goal, he um, gave him a really nice through ball 
And um, Mitrovic, unfortunately, missed it. But then it goes to Tet and Tete gets a wonderful cross and we've scored another and it's 4-3. I mean, we actually were getting really excited at this point. But look, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the hero we never asked for. Let's talk about Andre Frank Zambogisa. He is, according to everyone, and I see it myself, I was, you know, he is, without a doubt, our best player on the pitch at the moment. Some people are saying that he is probably the better player on both sides, <laughs> or the better, better than any Leeds player as well. And I would just like to hear your sort of, your song for him, Matt Dunn, because there is an argument in my head where I've always just thought, you know, it's very hard for me to, I've, I've been let down before with this, we all have, and I, I remember much of Michael Seri playing amazingly in the first few games in the Premier League 18-19, and I think that's where my worry, my slight bitterness <laughs> and fear is coming from, because I'm, as, as long as the team loses and plays badly, I still find struggle to find an individual performance that I really like, and, but, and Gisa looks like a different type of gravy altogether, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I, I think Frank has been unfairly linked with Seri. Seri obviously doesn't want to play for the club anymore. Uh, he lost interest after a month and he was no good for the rest of the season. You know, instantly went on loan. I know um, Angisa did as well, but you look at Angisa and he seems like he's up for it. It seems like he's happy to play for us because he plays well. Um, I I think it was the club's decision to loan him out last season. Uh, and we've, by all accounts, rejected some fairly decent bids for him. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't think you can compare the two. I think Angus is much more of a professional player and, and the one we want out of the two of them. And... I think apart from Helder Costa, he was the best player on the pitch against Leeds. Uh, it's weird saying that because he sort of plays in a defensive midfield role and we conceded four. But yeah. I don't think you can realistically blame him, even though I did earlier. You can't realistically blame him for any of the goals. Yeah. Uh, you look at some of his stats against Leeds, he had the most touches of any of our players of 84. He created the most chances uh, from that deep midfield position. Uh, he had completed more dribbles, which is seven than any other player. Um, second highest tackles, third highest interceptions, 88% passing accuracy and an assist. You can't ask for any more than that. It's just, it's not his fault that the rest of the players didn't play to that level because if they did, we'd have won that easily. And mm. he very nearly, his performance was very nearly enough to get a point, which I think we probably deserved all, all in all, apart from those errors and the timing of the goals is what did it for us. But we were well worthy of a point, I think. And he, he was immense. Mm. Stato, sing me the ballad of Angisa quickly. And also just that the goals that we scored in, in a short amount of time to make it 4-3, that there is that there are positives there. There, there is hope that actually we, at least we can score goals in this league. And Mitro is now finally up and running. There, there are some positives to take as well, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, we, we can be positive. I mean, the, the cynic in me and you know, the one who's, you know, there's part of me that thinks that you know, we only scored those two goes because Leeds were four one up and they switched off and you know we kind of gave them a go but okay. you know we still scored two we still made it four three and we still gave it a good go and I think you know it's encouraging to see that you know when we do actually try to attack and we don't play this cautious parker ball and we get the ball into the box things do happen you know Mitrovic if you if you feed him more, he will, he will score. And if we get other players into the box, things will happen. You know, I was watching all the other Premier League games yesterday and and on Sunday, and 
you know, most clubs, you know, when they get chances in the box, you get three or four players in the box and law of averages, things will happen. But for mm. us in the Leeds game and in definitely the Arsenal game, you know, Mitrovic this week and Kamara last week, every they were so isolated and they were the only ones in the box at any time. So, you know, if we can try and get more players into the box, we've got enough skill and enough talent there for things to go our way and for us to score the goals. And, you know, it was encouraging to see that we got it back to 4-3 and it was encouraging to see that Anguissa had a good game. Um, just going back to Anguissa quickly, um, I like that parallel you get, you had with um, Seri in that, in the sense that Seri had a good first few games for us and he looked great, but, you know, his motivation went very quickly because we went turned bad very quickly. So if you're Anguissa right now, he has a great game like he did yesterday. But then he looks behind him and he looks at the fence and we were shipping four goals and then we're looking mm-hmm. at that nonsensical attack. And this he is must what I'm worried thinking, about. Yeah, he, he you know, yeah, I, I get that because, you know, it's probably him thinking, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I'm I'm better than this. I deserve better than this. Why, why, why am I going through this kind of shit that I went through two seasons ago? And that's understandable for him. And the only way we can kind of fix that is by getting a few more quality players in and, you know, for a lot of our current players to kind of step up and, you know, almost take the burden off his shoulders a bit and, you know, just be a top quality team rather than relying on these top quality individuals. Yeah. And just quickly, before we move on to Parker ratings and stuff, Ariola's Prem debut here, we conceded four goals this game, but... Would you say all of them are just unstoppable? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're actually suggesting they're actually unstoppable, but you know what I mean. Is is was Ariola? Would you still keep him for the next game? At them? Yeah, I think so. It's weird to say that your keeper had a good game when you've lost four three, but <laughs> realistically, I don't think he could have saved any of them. He was let down badly by the four defenders in front yeah. of him, um, and I can't remember what at what. Um, what the score was, I think it might have been when we were four three down. He made a really good double save, you know, dove low to his to his left, and then the other side to keep out the rebound. Um, he he came he came out and punched a lot, which um, as we all know, those those foreign keepers like to do. Echoes um, but yeah. but unlike unlike Rico and Fabri, he made contact with the ball, so that's that's an upgrade there. Um, sure. I like I like what I see. He he likes to have the ball at his feet. He comes out of his box. He commands his area. Um, I think I think he's a good keeper, and I think he's I think he's an upgrade on Rodak, which is harsh. But we need we need the best man for the job, and I think it's probably him. Definitely, um, and you know it's quite funny for Ariola. Like last year, he was at Real Madrid, so he would have had uh, Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane in front of him. And the year before, he was at PSG, so Thiago Silva and. Marquinhos and you know yesterday he had Hector and Adoy, which yeah, it's it's quite the change. But he had a decent he had a decent debut. And I think all of our new signings kind of performed well yesterday. Tete had a good game. Um Anguisa, if you want to count him as a new signing, technically he was fine. Um Lamina when he came on, he did nothing wrong or nothing right. He was okay, but you know, he kind of came on later on. So, you know, the good the new signings they've They've started well, but it's kind of the old habits from the two seasons ago that kind of cost us the game and we need to stand that out quickly. 
Old habits die hard as well. And we'll, we'll just before we get onto the parking rates, I just I, I just want to talk about another old habit. I just want to have a little rant with you here, and I think you're all going to agree. So you know the the media at the moment <laughs> was quite unbelievable in BT Sport, wasn't it? I mean, Chris Sutton, Fulham are down already, and this is before we even flipping you know put, uh, kick the ball. Um, you know, you've got Darren Bent, Savage talking absolute nonsense. You've got Southampton, who have lost two games now. And he says, oh, they'll be all right, but we've lost two games and we're going down instantly. Um, you know, match of the day, showing hardly any of our good bits. Uh, we conceded the same amount as Leeds, but we're going down completely different to what they're doing. Um, and, you know, Bielsa on the side, like, mythical, magical. I mean, he's not the bloody Loch Ness monster. I just don't really understand why that we are media boogeymen once again, it seems. Wouldn't you agree about them? Disgusting, wasn't it? Yeah, it- it's silly I think in this case it's more everyone for some reason is in love with Leeds they're forgetting when they went down when was it 18 years ago or something like that Uh, they're forgetting how much everyone hated them which is a funny it's a funny old thing and they deserve they deserve to be a Bielsa's a genius and all that stuff fine he's he's a great manager sure he sits on a bucket for the whole game but you know what what other what magicians don't do that um it's yeah, it, it's funny. I think I think in this case it's more to, it's more to do with Leeds, the Leeds loving than hating Fulham. Um, all I can say is I'm really looking forward to uh, the J Mac dramatic music reading out all the comments at the end of the season pod when we when we finish seventeenth. Yeah. That will that will make all of it worth it. Oh, it'll be great! It'll be so so good. Um, Stato, your thoughts on the, on the absolute shower of shower of stuff that people were saying on the commentary at least. Yeah, it was a it was a bit irritating because everyone seems to love Leeds, and you know what? Fair enough that they've been away for eighteen years and they're a big team, and you know, they need to be back in the Premier League. And yeah, that's, that's fine and all, but you know, don't treat us like we're just kind of this yo-yo team who who are lucky to be here because we're not. And it kind of annoys me that people just assume we are this yo-yo team. Sure, we got relegated and we got promoted. Like in the space of three seasons, back to like we down up, down up, up just, down up, yeah. and just, but you know people are forgetting that we 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 were an established Premier League team for thirteen years or so. You know we're not we're not in the same vein as teams like Norwich and West Brom who are proper yo-yo clubs. We're not like that. I mean, sure, sure, we, we could be in a if we go down and back up again. In, you know, in the next two or three seasons or so, but at the yeah. moment we're not, and you know. It's just a bit annoying that people are just writing us off straight away just because you know we're the playoff team. They came up, we spent a hundred million this time round. Yeah, people just oh, need to educate themselves a bit better, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, if you look at the all-time Premier League table, we're seventeenth. I, mean, I know that's not. I mean, that's that's just above safety. If it was if there was relegation, this thing. But, like, but like, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. I mean, you know, just, I think people need to really just show a bit more respect. But that's just anyway. The, I'm they're getting to me, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it. Let's have your Parker rating, Mister Dumb. Oh, that's really difficult. Really difficult. Yeah, because you've got the subs that you made, which are good, but you've got the defence, which is absolute cack. So that is tricky, isn't it? I'm, I'm pinning more of this on the fact that we haven't brought in a defender, okay. having got rid of Alfie Mawson, who, fair enough, might not be Premier League standard, but he's a body, and he's probably our second-best centre-back if he was at the club. Basing it on more the the fact that we haven't got a proper defender, um, a, a, a seven, a seven. I think is it maybe a generous seven. That but, is generous. 
but I think he saw that Onoma wasn't working, took him off and brought Bobby on, who played a much more direct role. And that turned things around. Obviously, we were 4-1 down at that point. Um, so but still, no, but you, like, but like you say, I know what you're saying, and the comments that you made, uh, and the, there, there was fighting spirit there. I know, like as Stato said, the cynical part of us knows that Leeds might have dropped off because they were 4-1 up. But Stato, what, what are your thoughts? What would you give Parker for this? I think I'm going to just quickly say that I'm, I'm on a maybe a five and a half, six here. What, what about you? Yeah, it is a difficult one. Like like Dom said, you know, it's not his fault. We have no centre-backs available. And, you know, it's kind of annoying that we never once got to see Hector and Mawson as a partnership because, you know, that could have been quite good, but we'll never see that now or not at least until next season, potentially. And, you know, the fact that Dennis Adoy is still a Premier League centre-back for us is criminal, frankly. And that's not entirely Parker's fault. Um, you know, it's the fault of the recruitment team for not getting another centre back in. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, we didn't have to play a doy there. But then is Reem any better? Is Le Marchand any better? We don't know. Um, you know, they're kind of all kind of the same averagey championship at best centre back level players. So yeah, that's not exactly his fault. Uh, he made some good changes. He was, you know, I'm I'm was impressed that he, he's not afraid to drop players like Ream and Kearney in the Premier League. You know, he has no room for this kind of sentimental approach, which is good. Yeah, that's um, good. The whole zonal marking thing, you kind of do have to pin on him because, you know, he is the manager, he does these tactics. So, yeah, I think kind of a, a five and a half. I'd say toward more more towards a six, I'd say. Um, did a few right things, did a lot of wrong things. But we're only two games. We're only two games in, and you know there's still a long way to go. A long way to go, indeed. Just, I think, just to justify my seven, because <laughs> listening, <laughs> to, <laughs> listening <laughs> to you go, you both, I think I've, I've been a little generous. It, it's because I, I think, I think we were well worth a point overall. If it wasn't for those, obviously we're going to say this all season. If it wasn't for those four defensive cock-ups that led to goals, but it, those those weren't his fault. I don't think. Uh, I'm not sure if we actually are markings only because we haven't been before. So I don't see why we'd start doing it now. I think that was just just a weird, weird bit of defending by them. Um, because I, I think I think on another day, Leeds don't score all their chances and we win it. Uh, so I think I think it's a bit harsh to, to pin the result on him because I, I didn't see that he did a lot wrong. OK, well, I mean, look, the next game is the next Premier. Well, the next game actually is look Sheffield Wednesday Carabao Cup. That's uh, on Wednesday, as I just said. But <laughs> we've got the we've got Aston Villa coming up. Um, we're going to have a preview show with Frenchie, so we're not going to talk about it too much. But I just would like to get your thoughts. We've been linked with Marlon. Help me out. What's, what's his last name? Just Marlon. <laughs> it's just Marlon. <laughs> is it Marlon? I can't remember. It's like Marlon Santos, I think. Marlon Santos from um, Syria, um, a centre back who hasn't got the best reviews, to be honest. But he plays in a back three, and I'm just starting to think if now Parker's shopping for a back three, uh, you know, three centre backs, and, and and this might be the way going forward. And I just like to know what your thoughts are. Oh, another thing I'd like to ask you as well, on top of that, is th- this was a championship game, and we still lost. It's not good. Arsenal, Leeds, and Villa. I would have liked four points from that, and now Villa. We've got none, obviously. So now I think with Villa, if we get three, that would be great. And I'd just like to know your thoughts on what I've just said and with how many points you would have liked and etc. Done. 
Um, the back the back three thing first. I think um, I think for a long for quite a while we've been we've had the players to do that. Um, at the moment, I think we need, we need three centre backs in order to play three centre backs because. We've well, got... maybe two, yeah. Like we could maybe throw in Hector, maybe, or like you definitely, definitely throw in Hector. Because we've, we've got Hector and Reem and Le Marchand. They're, they're the, the only three you can actually call centre backs, and two of those I don't think should be starting in the Premier League. Um, I, I think, I think it would work for us because we could then do what we've discussed: have two up front and still have three in in midfield. With some width from marauding fullbacks, uh, we know Joe Bryan likes to get forward, and we've seen Tete is really useful because he's set Mitra up two headers in two games. Um, it would work, I think, but we we need we need some good quality centre backs because the teams you play at, like Brighton, for example, they're absolutely stacked with defenders. Uh, yeah. They've got some of the best outside the top six, I would I would argue, and it works for them because they're units and. They've got a really strong defence, so just just playing three for the sake of having more defenders is is not necessarily the answer. They need to be they need to be good as well. Um, and what was your other question? Well, <laughs> Forgotten now. <laughs> well, I mean, how many points would you have taken out of these three games? Do you do you now see that Villa is probably the, like huge in the sense of we we need we need we need points <laughs> we need points. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's it's must win, but at the same time, we must beat. The other teams who are expected to be challenging us for relegation or fighting yeah. against us for relegation, we need to be beating those at home. It's simple as that. And with with our not playing anyone in the top six for the first couple of months start, we, we need to get a big chunk of points in that time. Otherwise, we're going to start to struggle. So it's not must win, but we we really, really need to start thinking about winning. And it's, it's, Villa at home is, is a good a good one to aim for. And what what would you do at Villa at home, Stato? What would you what, how would you how would you see this out? So, yeah, as Dom mentioned, I don't think we it's it's a game that you know it's we need to win. We need to be looking to win all the games against teams like this. But I don't think we should panic if we don't because you know, we still don't have the defenders that we need. And even if we get them this week, there's no guarantee that you know they'll perform and they'll make our team better instantly. It's, it's a process. You know, you buy a defender and you integrate them into the team. Yeah. You, you know, get them playing the way that we like to play and understand the kind of different types of passing patterns that we like to do. So, you know, even against Villa, you know, if we lose, I wouldn't be you know, too upset. Um, I'd be upset if we concede another th- minimum of three goals again because, you know, we've conceded bloody seven goals in two games so far, which is awful. So, you know... If we can keep conceding goes to a minimum at least on Saturday, on next Monday, then you know that will be a good thing. And yeah, I think it all depends on who we kind of get in. Um, this you know, uh, Marlon was just one of many centre backs I've seen we've been linked with in the past few days. You know, there's Congolo, Jonathan Tar, Gleason, Bremer, uh, the guy from Basel. I'll and, direct, you know, five, yeah, yeah uh, all direct. That's the one. Okay. Um, and the thing is, what I've noticed actually in the Premier League is centre backs. There's a big shortage of good quality centre backs going around at the moment. You look at the team that Burnley put out on Sunday today, and you know they haven't got Tarkovsky or me, so they're playing Kevin Long and some random. Them. 
Likewise, they're playing Leicester, who haven't played their defensive midfielder, Wilfred Ndidi, at centre-back. Liverpool had to play Fabinho at centre-back today. Hmm. And there's actually, you know, there's it's a kind of a trend that good quality centre-backs are in short supply at the moment because, you know, the way the game's evolving of such this high-pressing attacking game, you know, at- high-quality attackers are outnumbering the amount of centre-backs that exist. So it's going to be difficult to get those centre-backs in and to kind of get a set of defenders that can help us survive in the Premier League. So I believe we will get some defenders in, but, you know, it may take time. We've still got three weeks of the transfer window left. And, yeah, it's it's just kind of one of those unfortunate things where we got promoted in a season where everything is so kind of compressed and condensed down. We had a four-week pre-season and now we've already played the season and we're still getting players in. So, yeah, it's going to be a yeah. big task from Parker to try and get those players in, get them integrated into the team and sort out our best team and get us playing quickly. Well, hopefully we'll see a couple of new people by this time of Villa, but maybe not integrated just yet. But there, there is time, like you said, there is always time. There is always hope. And I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pressing the Fulham a down button like some wanker pundits are doing at the moment. <laughs> I only want to add that we have got time, obviously, to get centre-back in, but it's been two years. <laughs> We've had two years. This time yeah. last season, we were saying Tim Ream, Dennis Adoy isn't a centre-back parent that's going to keep us up. And here we are, Tim Ream starts the first game, Dennis Adoy starts the second game at centre-back. Lo and behold, two years older, they're still not good enough. So I think, obviously we've got time and we need to do it, but it's not given Scott Scott Parker a lot of time to get get ready for the season because he hasn't got a complete squad. Yeah, I mean, the, I'm sure Scott Parker speaks very well after the games, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was bloody livid after that performance and I think he's definitely really had an angry phone call with Tony Khan to get things moving a lot more swifter that might be actually why we're so you know this this deal for Marlins being wrapped up so quickly after the game I think he's just definitely set a fire under Tony Khan hopefully hopefully taking a day off watching wrestling when he's uh, making some phone calls that would be nice, oh, wouldn't it? Yeah, don't, don't be that guy, but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, what you mean. I'm not that guy, but you know, you know. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. Well, look, thank you very much to my lovely co-host for joining me and talking about all this. Thank you for all for listening at home. We will be back. We will be back with a preview show of Aston Villa where Frenchie shall be talking all about Aston Villa, what we can expect and potential lineups and all that may entail. Thank you for listening.